Welcome to Transit Unplugged. I'm your host, Paul Comfort, and this is the Comfort Corner Special Edition of Transit Unplugged, where twice a month we bring you the inside story and what's happening in and around the transit industry and its response to and recovery from the COVID-19 crisis, and now as we pull out back onto regular headline news uh, around the industry. This is the June 10th edition. It's my birthday today. Excited to be with you today and share with you so much that's happening and the good news of the gospel of transit around the world on today's edition. So many things to talk about uh, as we have been recovering from the COVID-19 crisis. Transit systems uh, around the country and around North America and the world are now basically moving back into a more um, regular cadence of their services. Last week, a number of major transit systems announced recovery in New York City. This week, uh, which was one of the hardest hit cities, actually the hardest hit city in the country when it came to COVID-19. And as you know, many transit systems moved to those Saturday schedules early on, and uh, many of them now are moving back to normal schedules. Often they are asking folks to wear a mask and continue to observe social distancing, but services are recovering. Some folks are running um, a secondary vehicle so they can have regular uh, spacing, inter intervals of spacing on the bus every other seat and they'll have pickup vehicles running behind them. There's so many stories today uh, and over this last week that I can't really get to all of them, so I'm just summarizing for you. That's kind of the industry trend that is happening now. Recovery to more normal routes. Many systems have started charging fares again. Some, though, are still uh, concluding that it's best for them to run fare-free or at least to start moving in a direction of cash-free and low-touch. There's lots of stories about that in the industry as well. I also wanna highlight two big um, appointments this week. One uh, with a dear friend of mine, uh, Savannah, Georgia. Their transit system is called Chatham Area Transit, or CAT, and they, they selected Bakara Sanderson-Malden as their new CEO Executive Director. Malden currently serves as Director of Policy and Innovation with the New Orleans RTA. She's a senior executive with 15 years of diverse experience in public transit, public administration, etc., and um, she has been a transit CEO and a transit board member for two different boards, and uh, they're, they're so lucky to have her there in Savannah. I can't wait to visit her once uh, we can start traveling again and see all the great work she's gonna bring there. Congratulations, Bakara. She's also been super active, as you know, with APTA and the executive committee and all that stuff and the board of directors and uh, was a contributor to my book, The Future of Public Transportation, has been a guest on my podcast, Transit Unplugged, and uh, continued to be a dear friend and so happy for her and for the city. Uh, in another city, uh, Bismarck, North Dakota, Bisman Transit's board has named Deidre Hughes as the agency's new executive director. She currently serves as their marketing and administrative manager, and she's played an integral role in the agency's response to COVID-19, and uh, she will begin her new position on July 1st. Congratulations to both of these appointments um, in our uh, industry. A couple other interesting pieces of news, uh, which uh, I've been predicting and that is that zero emission buses will continue to grow in their importance in our industry. I think as folks have been able to kind of see the skyline in places like, you know, Shanghai and, uh, and uh, Los Angeles, people are realizing how public transit is such an important part of our recovery, not only from COVID-19, but also our environment to remain clean. And uh, the number of available and announced models of zero emission buses trucks and off-road equipment in the U.S. and Canada is on track to rise nearly 78% by the end of this year as compared to the year end of 2019. And that figure is expected to more than double by 2023. Uh, there are many different models and makes of these vehicles, but the, the figures come from the Zero Emission Technology Inventory, a product of CalStart's Global Commercial Vehicle Drive to Zero program. 
And um, Lauren Skyver, who's a, a longtime friend of our program and actually uh, was on a podcast, uh, a webinar earlier this week uh, with me uh, for the Australia, New Zealand UITP, where we had, you know, close to 500 people uh, talked about that there. She also wrote about it in our book, The Future of Public Transportation, the importance of hydrogen bus, electric battery buses, and CNG. These are the three main modes of zero emission buses are continuing to grow and on track to grow again by nearly 80% by the end of this year. Other great news, uh, the Federal Transit Administration has announced uh, the award of $3.5 million in grants through the Mobility for All pilot program to 17 projects in 16 states to improve mobility and access to public transit for older adults, people with disabilities, and individuals with low income. And um, the, the announcement said that FTA is committed to improving access and mobility for all Americans, especially as you work to address the impacts of COVID-19. That was uh, a statement by FTA Acting Administrator, my friend, Jane Williams. Jane and I worked together at the Maryland Department of Transportation. Has just done a tremendous job in an acting capacity now for quite some time as head of the FTA. And they are, um, I'll give you a couple examples. Great, great new programs. The Flint Mass Transportation Authority will receive funding to expand its same day on-demand transportation program with new partner agencies and clients, specifically veterans and individuals with substance abuse disorders living in Flint and Genesee County's rural communities who travel long distances to healthcare facilities. Same day service, that's great. Uh, and um, the North Carolina Department of Transportation will receive funding for trip scheduling software that will create a more efficient point of entry to connect underserved populations, including people seeking substance abuse treatment with transportation services in rural Northeastern North Carolina. So those are the kind of uh, real, uh, you know, society changing grants that are being made uh, to transit agencies around the country. And it is an important message. We'll hear about messaging a little bit in, later in today's program from Elia Carey when she talks about messaging. We also have Mike's Minute talking about uh, the importance of uh, caring. And uh, I'm also happy to have in our newsmaker interview, Chris O'Claire. She is the head of um, mobility paratransit basic services for King County Metro. We recorded this last week, uh, but it's a really good in-depth interview uh, about what's happening with COVID-19 and paratransit, which we haven't focused on too much. We focused a lot on the fixed route side of things, but she talks about how paratransit has really stepped up and been an important part of the recovery from COVID-19. Hey, I also want to let you know that I have just had, you know, even though we haven't been able to travel much, I've had so many great opportunities. And thank you to our listeners for offering me these opportunities uh, around North America and the world to do webinars and drop in at staff meetings for departments around uh, North America for staff, staff uh, transportation department meetings. Uh, I've got so many webinars that I've done. I've probably done a dozen in the last couple weeks, last few weeks on the future of public transportation, mobility as a service. Uh, we've got um, coming up uh, being a part of Qtrix conference uh, in Canada and um, UITP in uh, MENA, which is the Middle East and Africa. I'll be hosting and headlining a webinar for transit leaders all over Africa and the Middle East, as we just did, as I mentioned earlier, from New Zealand and Australia. So if you want to find out more about that, just go to my LinkedIn page and you can check out. I put up information well in advance of each of these. Uh, they're all free and you can register and listen, ask questions to some of the other top transit leaders like Phil Verster and, and Lauren Skyver and others who join me on these. Thank you so much for being uh, a loyal listener to Transit Unplugged and keeping us really at the very top of public transit podcasts around the world. Now we are heard in 99 countries around the world with tens of thousands of listeners. It is uh, such an honor to be part of our recovery from uh, the COVID-19 crisis and letting people know the importance of public transit 
and how that we are helping to recover not only our industry, but also society in general as we get back to whatever this new normal is going to look like. Thank you again so much for being with us. I'll talk to you at the end of the program when I do a reading from our book, The Future of Public Transportation. It's a great chapter about partnerships uh, that's written by Steve Bland, the head of Nashville's MTA. Until next time, I'm Paul Comfort. We'll talk to you soon and keep trucking for transit. Hi, this is Mike Bismeyer, Regional Sales Director of Proterra, and this is Mike's Minute, where we talk about random acts of kindness, mentorship, and leadership in the hopes that it'll help you be inspired to pay it forward. Public transit continues to be the great ambassadors of the new normal. It's amazing to see how quickly agencies are adapting, the new protocols, and the experts they are becoming in something no one knew anything about several months ago. It's hard to believe the time that's passed and the challenges that have been put before us and how transit has continued to come out on the other side, being that essential service and the essential heroes. I had an opportunity this past week to participate in a random act of kindness in my own community. I reached out about a month ago to the local hospital foundation and offered up some time. For those that don't know, I had a DJ business for 21 years prior to my life in transit, and I volunteered to play some music for the doctors, nurses, support staff, frontline workers, once things got to some sort of new normal to celebrate all they've done for our community. Well, they took me up on the offer, and this past Friday, I had the opportunity to play music for a parking lot full of frontline workers, doctors, nurses, residents, and support staff from a facility that had a COVID outbreak that was now COVID-free. It was a wonderful opportunity to thank them personally and to see the passion which they all have to making our community better. Again, kindness is cool. We all have something in us that we can give. Reach out, make a difference. Have a great week. with us today on Comfort's Corner, Transit Unplugged. It's uh, what a wild week. Huh? So we've had, uh, we've had a couple months of uh, the pandemic and then on top of that now um, protests around the country and so I really appreciate Chris Eau Claire being with us today. Chris is a mobility division director for King County Metro in Seattle, Washington, one of the biggest uh, transit systems in America and uh, has run a tremendous system. I'm good friends with uh, someone that works with her. His name is John Gray, works with MV. And he's just been touting her how great she is for the last month to me, uh, saying, Paul, you've got to get her on the show. And so uh, thank you so much, Chris, for being with us today. Well, thanks for inviting me. Um, it, my heart is heavy today, and I'm very heartbroken, but I am looking forward to talking to you today. Thank you. Yeah, we are recording this uh, for the first week of June. And um, so, Chris, I guess first, uh, let's do a little context. Set us up. Tell us about your paratransit system, you know, the size, the scope, what you do, those kind of things. Yeah, so really excited. Um, we have a paratransit system that operates about one million rides a year. Um, and we, over the last 
two, three years have been looking at a transition from a system that was operated by many different contractors to consolidating into one contract. Um, and what I'm most proud of through that process though is the thoughtful work we did in working with our communities to listen to their needs, to slow down and to respond to how the communities have changed over time. And what we've integrated and brought into this contract in partnership with MV, something I'm really proud of. I'm really proud that we're leading with mobility as improving the quality of life in King County for some of the most disadvantaged populations, those that have mobility challenges. Yeah, yes. Um, I, as I mentioned to you off air, I used to work for MV, so I'll disclose that. <laughs> I used to work for them for five years. John and I worked together at, at WMATA, Washington Metropolitan Area Transit Authority, where uh, he was really a big part of, of uh, turning that whole operation around, I think, uh, working very closely uh, with folks like Christian Kent and others who were managing uh, the paratransit system there at the time. Uh, so I think everybody knows that paratransit, uh, ADA paratransit is primarily for people with disabilities, or as my friend Robbie Mackinnon likes to call them, diverse abilities. Um, <laughs> so, um, so you do a million passengers a year, and then tell us what changed once uh, this, this pandemic, I mean, Washington State was really where it first was noticed here in the U.S. at one of the nursing homes there. So tell us about what happened there um, and how you all started to respond. Yeah, so just backing up and really talking about the COVID-19 response. As you said, Paul, we were the the heart of this as it was um, being started. And we were the ones who were leaning into the discussion immediately as this com was coming forth at the beginning of March. And we re recognized that we had to be a leader in how we transitioned and looked at public transportation. And in particular, our access paratransit program. It, um, for us, um, we wanted to be at the core of our values is really understanding what our community's needs are and um, what our employees' needs are and really keeping the health and safety of their needs in the forefront of it. I'm pretty proud to say that we were one of the first in the country to build a, with MV, a paratransit response to the COVID um, situation. We then have taken that information and then shared it throughout the country. So what does that mean? Um, a lot of agencies are already doing this. It means daily disinfecting of every um, piece of equipment. It means that um, in between each trip, we're disinfecting between um, as we're carrying paratransit people. It me means that we're ensuring that our contract was amended so that we could pay for the personal protective equipment that MV needs in order to deliver this. Um, we're in constant conversations with MV as some of our incentives and disincentives that we built into the system to ensure the quality of service that we actually amended those to look at um, that um, we, as our ridership has dropped, um, we need to look at kind of a new delivery model um, and ensuring that we could do that together with MV. So in the, in the heart of this, it's really protecting the employees and the customers, but also just adapting um, and being willing to open up that contract again. Speaking of adapting, tell us about what you did to help families with food since the start of the pandemic. Yeah, so that's actually the, the part that I think is really exciting is we are a mobility agency at King County. And at the heart of this, um, our King County executive, um, Dow Constantine said to us, it's not about doing your regular business. You need to take this opportunity to deliver what the community's needs are. And Paul, you pointed out one of the first things that we did, immediately recognizing that a lot of people with access and paratransit um, use our service to get to food banks. And what could we do when they could no longer leave their homes? We could bring the food to them. 
So we connected with United Way and HopeLink and some of the local organizations and started a delivery service where right now we're delivering about 600 to 800 meals a day um, into the people, um, taking it from the food banks. I'm sorry, those aren't meals a day. Those are trips a day. There are many more meals that are being delivered. Um, but those trips are actually allowing people to stay safe and stay home and to get what they need um, from the food banks. There's a lot of other examples that we have that I, I'm um, also pretty proud of. Um, we're also Great. looking, oh yeah, what were you saying, Paul? I was gonna say, you helped uh, over 10,000 families is the number that someone told me, is that right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And the number's still growing. I, um, I, I will say though, as we look at the balance of our financial situation, looking forward, what we're trying to lean into with these organizations is, how do we do this together? How do we look at the future? We in Washington State are looking into a phased in approach. And so as more people can move, um, how do we make sure we deliver those services to those of greatest need? And you've got a great CEO there in Rob Gann. He's been a guest on our show before. And uh, one of the top, he and I have spoken on panels and stuff like that. One of the top leaders in the country, I think. Yep. And Rob, uh, while he didn't come from a transit background, he came from that human resources background and really understands the value of people and really empowering employees. Yep. So you were going to give me a couple other examples. Yeah. So um, another exciting one that we were one of the first in the country to really look at what and how we could move COVID positive patients um, and people. And so what we knew in working with King County Public Health is that they needed a service in order to move people um, that were thought to be or perceived to be or were being tested for COVID possible but they didn't have a vehicle or a way to move themselves. Do we want them on the public transportation system? And we made a decision that we wanted to set up a service that could isolate them and give them a safe, free delivery. So with that, in partnership with MV, we built um, and opened up a base that's separate. We um, have now vehicles that are separate and we built this protective um, uh, barrier that is now being used all around the country. Um, we were the one of the first to do this. And now um, people, MV employees can voluntarily sign up to be a um, driver for this trans um, transportation for pandemic response, we're calling it, TPR. Um, and with that, um, they can um, then be part of the solution and really isolating people that um, uh, need our help right now. Very, very proud of that partnership with MV and with King County Public Health. Tell me about that divider that you built. Is this in like a raised roof van or is it a minivan and what does it look like? Um, no, it's actually in a in a, a normal kind of um, access. I think it's an 18, oh well, no, it's not that big. It's uh, maybe 12 to 18 passenger van. Um, and it's a, a divider that's a little, it's hard plastic. Um, and we were able to put it in there, screw it in there um, so that the operator does not have to interact, um, but they can safely get in and out of the vehicle. And, and how many exciting. people would you say you've transported in this special new service you started? Hundreds or? Um, at, at this point, it, um, it's, in the, it's in the hundreds, but um, I will say the number is going down, um, and that is yeah, due yeah. to the pandemic being, um, yeah. um, being put into control. Um, there's many conversations that um, what we're also doing is freeing up our ambulances. So these people would have normally been moved through the ambulances, um, and this is allowing those to be really available for emergencies. Um, so pretty impressive work from our Access Paratransit and MV team. I'm really proud of our team and what they did here. And then did you also do something along the lines of an emergency shuttle service for homeless folks, et cetera? Yeah. 
So another partnership that we're doing is with our Department of Community and Health Services, DCHS. And as they're looking at the homeless population and trying to disperse the homeless population, just like most urban centers, Seattle um, has a huge and growing homeless population and recognizing that their living situation during this pandemic um, was not um, allowing them um, to be healthy and safe and get social distancing. We actually came in, um, not just through the Access Paratransit, but actually through our fixed route system. System, and moved people and their goods to be in a more safe setting and a setting um, that was um, supported um, by our social service agencies so that they could get the ability um, to be healthy and, um, and um, uh, safe in a, in a living situation. Yet another example is that we're part of the mobility solution. Really proud of that work. We've set up a system, Paul, um, that I think you guys should know about um, where if we get a request, um, we bring it in, we understand who's making the request, if money is needed, the turnaround response, and what vehicles we have available. And um, through this process, we're looking at all of our services, um, whether it's our dial-a-ride services, um, our deviated fixed route, whether it's our van pools, we have the largest van pool program in the country, but they're not all being used. So how do we use our resources? That's very good, very creative. Anything else you want to talk about with regards to COVID before we switch over to responses to the recent protests? Um, I think in regards to COVID, I just want to recognize, um, and many of you that are listeners on this, that um, public transportation is part of the solution. You know, we're moving essential workers, um, but we are part of the solution in getting the economy back up and going. Um, we're going to be working to ensure at King County that we build a system that is safe um, and that is clean and that is different than what we had pre-pandemic. So as we do that, we want people to know that um, we are open for everyone, but we need to work together with our businesses and our employers and um, with our communities to really make sure we rebuild in a new way. And I wanna tell you, Paul, we are committed to rebuilding in a way that truly demonstrates our values um, and, and um, really serving those that really need us. That's wonderful. Well, uh, talking about serving folks, so um, how are things working now? Of course, we're recording this the first week of June. Uh, and uh, we've had several, um, three or four, maybe I think four nights now, of protests throughout the country uh, that have affected some transit system. I've been talking to CEOs over the weekend about how their systems were, some buses have been burned and things like that. How, is, how, are, the, uh, how are these protests affecting transit there in Seattle and what are you, what's your all's response? Paul, you heard me start this uh, podcast by saying I was heartbroken. Um, we have very heavy hearts here, and I know around the country, this is a national problem that we are dealing with, and I just want to acknowledge the tragedy in front of us, um, and that the demonstrations that are coming forth are really about um, discrimination against people and lack of respect, and we will not tolerate that at King County. King County Metro um, leads with our values and leads with the value of inclusivity, and that um, we are in support of people that can peacefully protest and really share and um, uh, their frustrations in a peaceful way. So um, acknowledging all the tragedy happening around the country, we um, have been able to continue to operate our system um, and that we need to ensure as we do this that um, our operators are safe, um, our employees are safe as they need to come to and from work, and that we're sharing as much information with our customers as possible. Um, we are um, one of the ways that people learn about what's happening in, in the community and sharing how our system is changing, but also sharing and demonstrating that our values are at the forefront of this. Um, 
and uh, in some of the areas where uh, there's been some uh, protests, has that affected uh, any of your facilities or operations? Yep, the, there have been demonstrations in um, the downtown Seattle area in particular, and then some of the neighboring areas in Tukwila and Bellevue, and um, really just leaning into that many of them are going through the process of getting permits and really telling us and allowing us to move our vehicles around, which is a normal protest um, process. And so informed in that way, but we want to recognize that some areas are um, where there is more anarchy um, uh, uh, and more opportunism coming forth that um, can be not as peaceful, uh, we are um, responding very quickly. And um, we are able to do that through our control center, moving our routes around, moving our system around in doing that. We have had a couple of vehicles that have been caught in the situation. Um, no one has been injured from King County Metro at this point, uh, but we want to um, acknowledge that many of our customers are um, have been put into um, some changing circumstances and we want to acknowledge that that the safety of our system is at the forefront of our, of our mind right now. Very good. Well, thank you, Chris, and, and we really appreciate the wonderful work you've been doing to respond in the COVID-19 crisis, and then uh, with this additional demonstrations and things going on, keeping your system, your employees, and your passengers safe. You guys are leaders in the industry, and we really appreciate you sharing with us some of the best practices you've put into place uh, during this um, critical time for our country and for the transit industry in general. Thanks, Paul. I, re I really appreciate your time. I really appreciate your voice, um, and I really appreciate those people listening that... Um, you know, public transportation has a future and we um, will carve out the future and we'll work together with the communities to make sure our values are demonstrated and that everyone can have mobility to improve the quality of life here. Um, and pretty proud to be part of that industry, Paul. I wouldn't be anywhere else. Uh, my day is not boring. My day is challenging. And but I do feel that I get to uh, wake up every morning and make the place a little bit better. And that feels good. That feels good in a time period where there's so many heavy things going on. So thanks for being part of that too, Paul. Thank you, Chris O'Claire, Mobility Division Director at King County Metro in Seattle, Washington. Hi, I'm Aliyah Carey. I'm a communications consultant working with public transit agencies. I am certainly not the first person to note that we live in a media-saturated culture. We're bombarded by messages. Sometimes they're attractive, sometimes they're appealing, sometimes they're frightening, and they're always very distracting. Anyone who's promoting public transit is fighting for mind share in all that noise. You've got to communicate scheduling updates and service changes and fare information and now safety and cleanliness messaging. That's a lot. But how are you also supposed to communicate these bigger and more abstract and complex transit narratives like its environmental and economic benefits? How do we get across big ideas simply? There are a lot of ways to do that tactically, but I would frame the discussion with a couple of simple ideas. Make it be real and make it be about them, them being the audience that you want to reach. Think about what your audience needs to hear, not what you want to say. You might want to tell a story about how transit helps reduce greenhouse gases that threaten our planet with global warming in the coming years, right? That's a good story, but your writers need to hear is what transit does for them right now. So start the discussion, instead of focusing on how transit saves the polar bears, 
Use your messaging to draw direct connections between cleaner air and better lives right in the communities where your passengers live. Bonus points if you can use actual riders who'll share their own health stories. Similarly, we know transit creates economic opportunity by getting people who don't use cars but live reasonably close to transit to work. But why should people with plenty of cars living away from transit even care about that? Well, because they vote. We need their support. So show them stories about how transit users make their lives better. They might not ever set foot on a bus, but frontline medical workers and grocery store clerks who use buses to commute do make their lives better. Tell those stories and concretize that complex idea and make it make an impact on your audience's immediate circumstances. I would love to discuss that further. If you want to look me up, find me on LinkedIn. My first name is spelled E-L-E-A, last name C-A-R-E-Y. Thanks. Hey, thanks for being with us today on this edition of Transit Unplugged, Comfort's Corner, where we take an inside look at what's happening in and around the transit industry and the future of public transportation by reading segments from my number one best-selling book, The Future of Public Transportation. As you know, this book has been on the bestsellers for quite a while on Amazon, and uh, it's because it's uh, a great compendium of information, 425 pages of uh, input from 40 of the world's leading transportation experts and futurists. Um, it's just a great place to take a look at what's going to happen next. And the book is basically future-proof. It gives um, insights into what was coming prior to COVID and the thoughts that were uh, demonstrated by the leaders there show uh, their insights and that almost all of it is still very relevant, if not even more so now. One of those chapters that is uh, very relevant is talking about the partnerships that public transit needs to make with community groups in order to maintain its relevance and importance. And it's written by a good friend of mine, Stephen Bland, who's chief executive officer uh, of Nashville MTA called WeGo Transit in Nashville. Steve's been around public transit, as you know, for quite a while, uh, having led systems like Pittsburgh prior to his time there in Nashville. Of course, Nashville's Music City, one of my favorite cities in the country. And I'm going to read today an excerpt from his chapter called uh, partnerships form Nashville Transit's future. It's on page 130. It's chapter 14 of my book, which, by the way, is available on Amazon or Barnes and Noble. Uh, you can get an electronic download on Amazon or the paperback copy, and uh, or you can go to my website, futurepublictransportation.com, and uh, get an autographed copy. I'm here at home. Be happy to autograph and send you a copy if you want one. All right, here's this chapter: partnerships form Nashville Transit future. I think a lot of folks are focused on the technology for the future of mobility, Steve Bland writes. I'm kind of focused on and excited about some of the new partnerships that will emerge among local transit agencies and complementary development partners. Those development partners can be in education, law enforcement with social service agencies, or even developing around our stations by getting complementary real estate uses. We are particularly proud of an ongoing and emerging relationship with the homeless agencies in our community where we reciprocate with bus passes to get people into programs to help them get out of chronic homelessness. That's actually showing about a 75% success rate for the first six months. And in return, we're also getting terrific support from the homeless agencies on interventions, where we have homeless folks who are, for all intents and purposes, using our facilities as a place to live, which doesn't work out too well for anyone. Another partnership we have emerging is with our Metro Nashville Police Department. 
we don't have our own transit police force, so we, we're trying to get them a better understanding of how our system works and how transit security works. Another area we are seeing great results in is with educational partnerships. With some of the pending new technology, we're finding great partnerships with our community colleges and tech institutes. Again, it's not always a partnership where each of us pays for services from each other. Very often, it's sort of a barter relationship where we exchange things like transit passes for students and get in return seats and classes for our technical or IT staff where our team can improve their skill sets. While we are working on improved technology, improving service models, mobility on demand, and mobility as a service, like I'm sure many other agencies are doing, our focus is going to be about partnerships and making friends, as we need to build support for funding measures, and the more friends we have out there, the better. Now skipping ahead to his closing uh, paragraph. We also are partnering early and upfront with our school district and working on partnerships that will essentially help place youth on a path to working in public transit. We have a youth action team formed in almost all of our high schools to educate kids about transit and transit etiquette. With about 5,000 individual public school students who use our system on a daily basis, it's important that they learn about how to ride the system and also about potential employment with us. We give them an orientation to careers in transit and its various occupations. We highlight summer appointments with us, doing things like cleaning shelters and emptying trash at bus stops to get them acclimated to the organization and showing up to work every day. This is with the hope that they get old enough, that as they get old enough to pursue commercial driver's licenses and technical education, that they consider us an employer of choice. Partnerships form the future of, for the Nashville WeGo Transit Systems. What a great chapter. Uh, and again, so relevant in this day and age from Stephen Bland, CEO of Nashville Transit. Thanks for being with us today on this Comforts Corner edition of Transit Unplugged. And stay tuned each week as we bring you insightful interviews with newsmakers and all the news you need to know. Take care and stay safe out there.